This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues. He was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The gospel of the Lord. Praise Please be seated. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus. Amen. Can't think of a worse day to have a like a whole row of seminary students sitting over there because I'm gonna I'm gonna rip off a whole lot of somebody else's sermon today. Actually, I'm going to rip off two different sermons. First is probably obvious, I guess. We're reading from Apostle Paul, his message to Timothy. We started it last week. We're going to read it next week as well. Sixth chapter of 1 Timothy. Paul's writing to uh, someone that he loves, someone that he's sending out in the world to share the love of Christ with the world, and someone who he wants to live and, and to share with others what he calls the life that really is life. The other sermon that I'm going to rip off is by Stephen King. Technically, neither one of them is a sermon. I know that one is a a letter, and the other one is a commencement address to the graduates of Vassar College. Here's Paul. Paul tells his dear friend Timothy that when he goes out in the world to do the work of Jesus, that make sure that you talk to those who are, in this present age, rich. That's us, by the way. That's all of us. Anybody who lives in central Ohio with a roof over their head and a car to drive and clothes to wear and food in the fridge, we're we're rich. We're rich. We're rich in this present age. And if you don't get that, and let's be honest, there's something inside all of us that says, well, I'm not that rich. But if you don't get that you are rich, that you are blessed, this series, wow, this series really for you. Paul tells Timothy to talk to those who are rich, to those who are financially well-off, to those who are blessed. Go out and talk, not to the have-nots, go out and talk to the haves. And he tells Timothy that they are to tell us, the rich, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't pin your hopes in your dreams. Don't build your life. Don't place your trust on the uncertainty of this thing called money. Now, Paul is not bashing the rich, and I want to be very clear about that today. Frankly, there aren't a lot of passages in Scripture that say a lot of good things about being rich. 
And that's appropriate because, frankly, there is an issue with excess and the abuse of power. We covered that last week. Money's a trap, and it hurts. It hurts us and hurts the world that we live in. But this passage that we're looking at is one of those few passages in Scriptures where God has something good to say about wealth. And Timothy is supposed to tell us, who are rich in this world, that rather than putting our hope in that, in our wealth and in our money, we should put our hope in God. And I love this next part, and he says, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Everything's a gift, including money, including wealth. Like all good gifts, they are to be enjoyed. I love that first reading. Where else in the Scripture can you find? Go out and eat fat things and drink sweet wine. Wow. It's the love of those things. It's the love of money that's the problem. That's a pretty important distinction. It's really easy to confuse when you are rich your wants and your needs. Really easy. I mentioned last week the Ann's in El Salvador are supposed to come home late this evening, weather permitting. They've had an amazing week, judging by the, the pictures and the, the emails back and forth. Put the foundation in for three separate houses. They've been welcomed and loved and fed and cared for in this living community of faith. Really a powerful experience, but I'm somewhat dreading her coming back because one of the gifts that she's received this week and that I have no doubt she's won to gift me with when she comes home is that she's going to be able to see the distinctions between our needs and our wants. I have no doubt at all that when she goes to put the suitcase in the closet, she'll notice that I have a whole row full of golf shirts and I only wear one at a time. We're so blessed. Just say that. We're so blessed. For our enjoyment as a gift of God. And when you're blessed, when all your needs are met, it's just so easy to confuse your needs and your wants. This is how it works for me. I'm I'm really content. I really am until the Land's End catalog comes. (laughs) And I I love my car. It's only like a year and a half old. It's beautiful. runs great. I I love it until until I tour the showroom and mine's getting worked on. And I love our house until I think what it might be like to live on a beach house somewhere. And I'm satisfied with every area of my life until I start comparing it with somebody else's life. And I feel like I have enough of everything, everything, until I see somebody who has more. That's what Paul calls the uncertainty of riches, a gnawing anxiety right here and right in here that we don't have enough somehow. As much as we have, that we don't have enough to live on, to provide for our families, that we're going to run out, have a big enough safety net, that we really can't be free, we can't be free from worry. And if we could, as people who are blessed, could just sit still long enough and remember that God is the one who richly blesses us with everything for our enjoyment, and how generous God really is in all aspects of our life, it's easy to admit that we are prone to confuse our needs and our wants, and that that is the source of a whole lot of anxiety in my life. Last week I noted right before our reading from 1 Timothy that Paul says, uh, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. I would suggest that that probably was the text for Stephen King's sermon at Vassar. In 1999, while he was walking alongside a country road out in California, he was struck and severely injured by a minivan driven by a drunk driver. Uh, Almost died, was in intensive care for more than a month. 
The whole address is, uh, address is, on, is on YouTube. You can listen to it. I hope that you will. It's very, quite good. And here, here's just part of what he says to the Vassar graduates. He says, I'll tell you one thing that you're not going to do when you leave here. You're not going to take it with you. I'm worth millions of dollars, he said. And a couple years ago, I found out what you can't take it with you actually means. I found out while I was laying in a ditch on the side of a road covered with mud and blood and a tibia of my right leg sticking out from my jeans. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you got glass and blood in your hair, nobody wants to take your MasterCard. We all know that life is ephemeral, he said, but I got a valuable look at life's simplest backstage truth. We come in naked and broke, and when we go out, we go out the same way, naked and broke. How long in between? It's a blink of an eye, he said. Stephen King went on to discuss with these exceedingly bright graduates from a premier university with the whole bright future and world in front of them, what they could do with the time that they had, their own blink of an eye. For a short period, he said, you and your contemporaries are going to wield enormous power. You're going to have the power of an enormous economy power of the hugest military complex in the history of the world, power of American society that you'll create in your own image. This is your time. This is your moment. Don't miss it. And then he adds something that I think could have been inspired by the Apostle Paul. Paul told Timothy, as for those who in this present age are rich, warn them, command them, don't be haughty or set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. You are to do good. You are to be rich in good works. You are to be generous, ready to share, so that you can take hold of the life that's really life. This is how Stephen King said it. Of all the power which is shortly going to come into your hands, the greatest, undoubtedly, will be your ability to give. It is the only thing that will bring you joy. Whoa. Let me make sure you heard that, because this whole series is about being free. Stephen King who watched his life and his millions pass before his eyes, speaking to some of the most educated and privileged people on the face of the earth. Not some preacher trying to get into your wallet or balance a church budget. Stephen King said, the ability to give is the only thing that will bring you joy. We have enormous resources, he said. Resources you yourself will soon command, all of which are a gift They're only yours on loan. Now, I'm listening to this on YouTube, sitting on my desk, and I literally said, amen, preach it, preach it. I came here to talk about charity, he said, and I want you to think about it on a much larger scale. Should you give away what you have? Of course you should. In fact, I want you to consider making your whole life one long gift to others. And why not? All that lasts is what you pass on, he said. Preach it, preach it. The rest is smoke and mirrors. That's a pretty good contemporary description of the same thing. Paul calls it the uncertainty of riches. Stephen King called it smoke and mirrors. Now, it's a surreal experience when Stephen King and the Apostle Paul are calling you to do the same thing. To be rich in good works, generous and ready to share so that you can take hold of a life that's really life. King said one doesn't open one's wallet to improve the world, although that's nice when it happens. One does it because of how one sees the world. Giving, he said, is the way of taking the focus off the money and putting it where it belongs. Wow. 
We have this fantastic financial stewardship model. Last week I did it in 30 seconds. Actually, there was somebody who timed me and I did it in 34 seconds. Let me do it in exactly the same way, trying to help you, free you from the uncertainty of riches. I call it 10-10-80. Give the first 10% away. Give it to God. Let God do something with it. Let go of it. The first 10% in gratitude. Then save the next 10%. If you've got a bunch of debt, use that second 10% to do something with debt. Don't use the first 10%. Because we're going to defeat the purpose of what we're doing as disciples. And then very important, live joyfully, live joyfully for your enjoyment, live joyfully with the other 80%. Everything belongs to God who made heaven and earth. What might not be obvious is what Paul and Stephen King describe, giving, giving back to God in recognition that it all belongs to God anyway, sharing generosity, understanding that you didn't bring it into this world with you and you're not going to take it with you. That is what frees us from the uncertainties about money. And that's the first priority. It's not the last priority. That's why we do it first rather than after. When it comes to making choices about our needs and our wants, our first impulse, our first instinct, I'm just trying to be honest, is often fearful. Grip, grab, hold tight, don't let it go. But it doesn't have to be that way. And that's what spiritual disciplines are about, disciplining our lives spiritually. God's going to love us regardless of what we do with money. That's a really big statement, but it's so true. God's going to love us regardless of what we do. That's a given. Rich and poor, we're all precious in God's sight. The biggest gift of all, that's it. That's the gift of Jesus, who was, who is, whoever shall be. And that's the good news that empowers and equips and inspires to make us faithful stewards, to be good stewards, to live lives of generosity. And it really does boil down to a kind of either or, kind of a choice kind of thing. On the one hand, there's like scarcity-based thinking, anxious, no matter how much you have, your words, you're not going to be able to have enough. The uncertainty of riches, just gripping and grabbing. But then on the other hand, there's, there's free, trusting God's generosity, God's power, God's manages, God's extravagant grace. So that's, that's a choice. The choice is not whether God loves you or not. God loves you. Of course, God loves you in Jesus. That's the message of the church. It's a choice. And frankly, it's a million little choices every day. And it's insidious. And it's why we take this time every year to reflect on 10, 10, 80. And it's why we encourage you to think about your money devotionally and prayerfully and discuss it and spend some calculator time it all boils down to just really one big question, and it's the question I want to leave you with. I want to leave you to ponder this week. And again, I'm admitting that I just ripped it off from Stephen King and a guy named Paul. What is it that I am gripping so tightly that's keeping me from taking hold of the life that's really life? Amen. Amen.